The following podcast is a Dear Media production. In a study by Esquire, 54% of women said they'd rather be hit by a car than considered fat. If I'm being honest, I've been those women. So for me, this isn't just a podcast, it's personal. I'm Danielle Robay, TV host and journalist, and years of celebrity interviewing taught me that beauty isn't about what you look like, it's about who you become. Each week, I'm having thought-provoking conversations, digging into the stories of people who put a new spin on pretty. From entrepreneurs and authors to politicians and celebrities, no topic is off limits. So join me every Thursday for a new episode to feel pretty inspired, pretty seen, and best of all, pretty smart. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. It's hard to walk away from a conversation with this week's guest and not feel empowered, inspired, and like asking yourself what your exceptional ability could be. Insightful, reverent, and joyful, my guest on this week's episode of Looking Up is holistic leadership and mindset coach, Amina Altai. She shares with us her unorthodox journey into coaching, nutrition, movement, and mindfulness, and the life-altering decisions she had to make in her late 20s when a doctor discovered two autoimmune diseases that could bring on multiple organ failure, and how she shifted her career, her personal life, and her mindset to find fulfillment and joy in her new path. She also opened up about how going through the pandemic with a traumatic brain injury helped her hone in on her purpose. She's like walking, talking sunshine and shares so bravely with me about how she changed her relationship with time, broke down the myth around balance and not having it all, and what showing up to our jobs, families, partners, and lives with integrity looks like. We talk through how the pandemic has affected women, the importance of clearly defining our values and how we can find empowerment in choosing to set a ball down instead of feeling like we're always about to drop one. I had such a great time talking with Amina and I can't wait for part two of this important and relevant conversation sometime in the future. Enjoy this episode of Looking Up. Well, I'm so happy to have Amina here with me today. We are going to talk about all kinds of things. But as you guys know, before we jump in to the core of this episode, I always like to start looking up with a little section that I like to call looking in, which is just a short series of rapid fire style questions. So without too much thought or judgment, the first thing that really comes to mind Okay, Amina, is there a book that you have read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? And if so, please do share with us the title and why. I think one of the most transformative books I've ever read is The Dark Side of the Light Chasers by Debbie Ford. And it's about shadow, Jungian shadow. And if you've ever read anything about Jungian shadow, when it comes directly from the source, it can be like heavy and heady. And I had a hard time digesting it, but this book breaks it down in such a digestible way that's within everybody's reach. And it's full of these amazing exercises. And I constantly come back to it. Every new level of becoming, I revisit the shadow work. I share it with my clients. It's just a beautiful body of work. I love that. I actually have not read that book, um, but definitely studied Jungian, all of his work, obviously in grad school. I like that you said it, it breaks it down because I think it can be really heady. I'm going to check that one out. Okay. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. 
People think I'm super serious. I am actually super silly. (laughs) I like that. Three words to describe yourself as a teenager during the high school years. I love that version of me. I have a lot of compassion for that version of me. She was a little perfectionistic, a little competitive, and also optimistic, I will say. Mm, Obviously, we love that. Um, Okay. When is the last time that you cried? Last time I cried was Friday. I was talking to my friend about motherhood and how it's so challenging. I'm not a mother, but she was telling me about her journey of motherhood. I've been really connecting with my mom around her journey. And it's just so much. You're always mothering your children. Then you get to a certain age and then you mother your parents. And it's just an ongoing job forever. And it was just so moving. Absolutely. As a mother of two and a daughter and a granddaughter, this is something I think about all the time. And it's definitely a source of many tears, sometimes out of frustration, sometimes out of sadness, sometimes out of pure joy and happiness and gratitude. Okay, shifting a little bit, three things that have brought you joy today. Well, the first one is it's my younger sister's birthday. So I FaceTimed her in London and sang her happy birthday. And she turned 31, but she was wearing a tiara and a sash. And I loved it. And it brought me so much joy to see that. I also had my ideal morning. So even though it's a short week, I was able to have my grounding meditation, my oat latte, my movement before I started the day, which is always so juicy. And this, I've been super looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. So I'm super happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you here as well. So there are so many things I want to ask you about. We are really going to focus this episode on an article that I read that you contributed to. I think it was for Mind Body Green. Uh, the title of it is Why Having No Time is a Wellness Myth. And this brings up a lot personally for me, but also I hear that over and over, of course, in the work that I do. So I really want to jump into that amongst other things. But why don't you first go ahead and share a little bit about your coaching, what sort of got you there, what what really is this leadership and business coaching that you do? What are you passionate about? Like your your story in a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. So I call myself a holistic leadership and mindset coach because my work really is holistic. And I take what I call a mind, body, and career approach to coaching. So looking at what's happening in the mindset, looking at the signals our bodies are sending us, and then looking at the strategies and tactics we're using in our work that allow us to succeed or not so much. And so I created this body of work and I wanted it to be holistic because when I was searching and looking for that thing, there wasn't something that touched on all these pieces. And I actually came to this work through through my own story, through my own challenges. I started my career in corporate America, which was great and taught me so much, but I was really clear very early on that it wasn't for me. And so I decided I wanted to try my hand at entrepreneurship and I co-founded a marketing agency in my 20s. And it was the most beautiful place to get all of my lessons. I had no boundaries and I was super codependent and a caretaker and all this shadow And it was the most epic learning experience. And seven years in, I developed two autoimmune diseases because the universe was whispering and I wasn't listening. And so then it decided to express itself through my body. And I had this stop moment where I had to really reevaluate everything that I was doing in my life and how I was showing up in the context of work and relationships and how I defined success and all of these things 
to be able to live well and whole. And so I had this stop moment where I was invited to continue down the path that I was going, which my doctor told me if I kept going down that path, I was days away from multiple organ failure. So I didn't really have a choice or reimagine everything. So I had what I call my eat, pray, love year, where I went back to school and I studied nutrition. I studied mindfulness. I studied movement. I studied coaching, like all the things. And at first it was to get myself well, but then I became just so lit up by what was available to me when I actually did feel well and was living into these teachings that I decided I needed to find a way to teach them full time. So I sat down, I designed my curriculum and yeah, the rest is her story. (laughs) I love that. I think so many people can relate to that in your journey. I know I can as well. So when you say that you studied nutrition and mindfulness and was that like you took sort of classes from people here and there on it and sort of built your own sort of year? Or did you go through some sort of certification that sort of touched on all those things? How did that look? Or people that are interested in in sort of also providing that kind of sort of intervention for people that at the same time want to sort of learn about it for themselves and their own personal journey? Was it, again, something that you just took some classes in for your own self and then decided to put it sort of all together? Or did you do some sort of certification in in any of these? Or what is your background in that way? Yeah, great question. I get asked this question a lot, especially for aspiring coaches. And so I say go towards the work that charms you. So the first place I went was nutrition school because I was diagnosed with celiac disease and I had to really relearn how to eat. So that was important for me. So I went to the um, Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and then you can continue your studies through Maryland University of Integrative Health, which I also did. So after that, so like food became this kind of point of entry for me. So I studied at IIN and Maryland University of Integrative Health, and then was just curious and wanting more and wanting other modalities. And so then I studied Vedic meditation with Ben Tertian. I also studied as a meditation teacher under Charlie Knowles. Both of them have Vedic practices, but teach other modalities. So that was really amazing. And then I did a training program around career coaching and then a movement uh, program as well, like learning about like somatic therapy. And I feel like I have really somatized my experiences. So again, it was really important for me to leverage movement in my practices So it ended up being way more than a year and it ended up sort of um, healing me, but then inspiring me to kind of create my own versions of these things. Yes. I find that so interesting, especially right now when I think this is not necessarily what I was originally wanting to focus the episode about, but I love when things take really organic turns. But I also have a lot of people asking sort of like, why, how did you decide that you wanted to focus on optimism or how did you become the optimism doctor when that didn't really exist? And so I think this is just like, we live in this time where it's really interesting, but there's a lot of things that are available to us and a lot of opportunities for ourselves to grow and to sort of pick and choose what is lighting us up and what is charming us, as you had said, and even go so far as make a career out of it, which I think is really interesting. And so that that in itself, I think your journey and what you do is, is super inspiring as well as I'm sure the work that you do as well. But I really want to focus. Okay. I want to like jump right in okay. because I definitely am one of, I am someone that does this work. And with my clients, I'm all the time sort of saying, you know, there's no time that is too small 
for taking care of yourself. And this is something I've had to tell myself over and over again. And I am definitely just to sort of juxtapose that someone that is on the daily being like, I don't have enough time. So I've had to learn as a mother and an entrepreneur and you know, wearing all the hats and especially over this past year plus wearing even more hats. I've really had to learn about stealing time for myself and also valuing, like I said, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes and not looking at that time being like, well, that's just not enough to do, to dig in, to do the things, all the things that I used to do. I just take these little micro moments and I make them count. And so that has been something that's been really important. And as much as I do that and I share that as a tool and technique with my clients or in my workshops, I definitely am still someone on the daily that I hear myself being like, my husband will be like, have you moved today? You know, have you gone for a walk? Have you moved in any way? Or have you drunk enough water? Or have you like, he'll check on me. And so will my mom. Um, and so will my son, actually, my four-year-old. Like, mommy, did you drink water? And I like find myself just being like, I didn't have time. Mm -hmm. I don't have time. Mm -hmm. So I think this is just such an important concept and especially for women and especially right now. And when I read the title of the article that you wrote on how not having enough time is a wellness myth, it brought up a lot for me. It brought up, yes, oh my gosh, so true. But also like, wait a second, what do you mean myth? Um, I think a lot of people are feeling it. I'm feeling it. Some people have more control of it than others. You know, then privilege comes in as well, like a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think like rather than focusing on the idea that it's a myth, I would love for you, because what I loved was your suggestions on how to sort of make your time count and even like increase time in your day. And so I would love for you to share why did you write that and your thoughts around it. And then, you know, more so like focusing on what can we do with those feelings and how can we sort of remedy those or go through our days in a different way. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Honestly, I wrote that article years ago and I don't remember the very specific steps, but I do remember this. I remember that I wrote that article because I was feeling very much prior to that in the scarcity mindset around my time. And I really wanted to shift into an abundant relationship with time. So even starting to notice my language, of, like I think language is very important. I teach that language is very important. And I was languaging it of, I don't have enough time or like I need to steal time or find time versus like, oh, I want to, I want to live into an abundant relationship with time and recognizing that choice plays in there too. So when I was in the scarcity mindset with time, time was happening to me. I wasn't in visionhood with it versus being like, wow, I actually made some powerful choices and that took up my time and I want to own that. So I think for me, it was really about rediscovering my relationship with it to make it more of one of empowerment and visionhood versus feeling like it happened to me. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing because I also felt that way. I mostly coach high achieving women, super busy women, leaders, et cetera, that don't have all that much time. And we are looking for ways to make the most of our time always. So I think shifting language is one of the biggest pieces. And then recognizing choice too. So like, what do you value? And then how are you going to align your time based on your values? Because when I was in the scarcity mindset with time, it wasn't aligned with my values. It was also kind of connected to codependency and people pleasing and feeling like I wanted to do all the things and all the stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And language is such a huge piece um, in, in the work that I do as well. And it's a huge piece of using one of our biggest tools that we already have that comes with us, which is perspective. And so oftentimes 
you know, one of the interventions um, that even I do is, is getting people to take a look at the language or the stories that they're telling yeah. in their every their everyday life because words are actually really powerful. Mm-hmm. And this really brings up for me something that I talk about a lot, which is this idea of I don't like the word balance. I don't like I it just, either. <laughs> I just can't stand the word. I think it sets us all up, especially for women, for sort of failure because we don't actually have a definition for that. It's sort of this arbitrary thing that we're always seeking and striving for we're never going to be good enough and everyone defines it differently. And it also sort of like, just sort of says like, it comes with this thing that like, you can do it all. And I think I've had to really learn and, and, and sort of, I don't, I don't like reading articles or listening to people speak that say like women can have it all Mm -hmm. and all the time. Mm -hmm. I think it really is this idea of we can have a lot of things and we can work on a lot of things, but we can't have it all and all the time at the exact same time. And it really is this idea of feeling empowered in the choice that we make in what we're doing in that time to spend our energy on. And that choice comes with hopefully joy in doing it because you're choosing to do it. Um, But also it comes with consequence. It means that you're not doing something else. I know for me as a mother, that's really something that I've struggled with and had to sort of own during the times where I'm doing what I love, like right now doing this, this is something I'm passionate about. It's part of my career. Um, It really lights me up. And I think it makes me a better mother. But at the very same time, I hear my, right when we were starting, I heard my four-year-old, you know, screaming for me and wanting to play Mm -hmm. and I want to be there too. And so it's this whole, um, we make a choice and I think like looking at it in that way um, is really important. And so I choose to be here and I I choose to be here and I can list out all the reasons why that's a choice I'm really happy to make. But I also can be aware that while I make that choice, um, the consequences, I can't be somewhere else that I also want to be. And so at that, at this very moment, and so I have to sort of think and and put that into my day that I will be there and playing with him, um, playing dinosaurs with him later on today. And that will be that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think it really is so difficult, especially over this last year, mm-hmm. where I often feel, and I, and I think a lot of people can relate, that it's really actually hard. And I mean it in this year in particular, like, to have a choice where we, I think like this year in particular has really shown most people all the roles that women play um, in the house uh, with their kids at work. And it was really, really difficult to turn a blind eye, which I think a lot of people have done in the past because everything was happening in front of our partner's eyes or, you know, at home. And a parent became a chef a house cleaner, a preschool teacher, still an entrepreneur, still trying to hold it together, a provider, a wife, you know, a mom, a friend, a granddaughter, a daughter, all the things. And so I think that I wonder with this discussion and, you know, that this year exacerbated it a lot for me, but I know for many people also, as I said, this is sort of a matter sometimes of privilege. Like they actually have all those roles and feel that pull all the time and single parents. And so how do we actually talk about that in a real way? We're like, I I really do feel like this year actually stopped me in my tracks. And many times it was really hard for me to actually get to that point of like, I'm choosing any of it. I feel like all of it I had to do. And I didn't, I only had 
18 waking hours or something to do all these things. And it just, I'm exhausted. So like, how do we talk about that in a way that like feels really real and, you know, set in the time of what's happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. Real talk. I mean, it is a conversation around privilege for sure. And women have been the most hard hit by the pandemic. And like you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and everything coming out of there, senior women, women of color, Black women, the hardest hit by the pandemic and have left the workforce in droves, a lot of them turning to entrepreneurship because it's a space where we have a bit more agency over our time. But it is a conversation of privilege and we often have to choose and we might feel like our hand is forced. And sometimes it comes down to, I think, a conversation of integrity of like, what's integrity for us to show up in? What's aligned with our values? And I agree with you that the conversation of having it all and balance is really activating because I also don't believe that's true. Balance implies stasis. And I feel as women, we're often in a game of nimbleness, of agility and running back and forth. And yes, we're choosing, but it is with lightning quick speed and resilience and having to move forward, not always feeling like we have the best things to choose from. So I want to name and acknowledge that. And this is not exactly a parallel, but I'd love to share a little story if that's okay. Please. Absolutely. Uh, Looking Up is all about real, raw, human, transparent storytelling. So we love stories over here. Okay, great. So I don't have children. I choose to mother in a different way. But during the pandemic, I was diagnosed with mold poisoning and I actually had a traumatic brain injury from it. And it was a really interesting time because I suddenly had to really reimagine my relationship with work. So I was playing some of the other roles in the pandemic of like chef and cleaner and supporting my friends that do have children and Um, all of my clients that have children and all the amazing leaders that they are and holding space for them. And then I also had this traumatic brain injury. And all of a sudden, my relationship to time was really called into question of how do I show up for all these people when I'm like really not well, not sure that I have the energy for it. And what's integrity also, because when I hold space for people, I want it to be clean and pure and of the highest service. And so I really had to sit down and have a very long and hard conversation with myself about time and about how I was showing up for people and about how I was showing up for myself. And I had to actually radically reimagine my entire business. And it was a very challenging conversation because a lot of my identity has been connected to work and how I show up for people there. And it was really challenging. I took a leaf from Tiffany Dufu's book. I dropped some balls and it was really, really hard because I'm someone that has been challenged by that historically, but it was also, I think, a really healing experience for me to drop some balls. Can you explain a little bit more like examples? What balls did you drop in your life and what came up for you? And like, how did you shift that when something came up? Like, that's the core. That is life. Like things are coming up all the time. Um, I think we live in this world where people, we're like forced to always find the brighter side and kind of, Um, find the silver lining. And again, like this is me as an optimism doctor talking. And we're sort of, you know, kind of shy away from or push or shove the negative things or the things that are less than ideal or the setbacks under the rug. But the truth is, as a human, we all experience roadblocks and setbacks and less than ideal situations all the time. As much as we experience joys and elation and all the positive feeling things as well. But it's those trying times and working through the struggle where we actually increase our resilience and optimism. So 
how did you exactly deal with that and that coming your way, forcing you to have to, as you said, drop the balls? What exactly did that look like? Can you walk us through a little bit of that in particular? One of the things that I really tried to lean into during the pandemic was a conversation around endurance and recognizing that pacing and replenishing was super important. But I usually plan out my business year, like a year ahead. And so I hadn't planned for a pandemic. I hadn't planned for a brain injury. I hadn't planned for any of it, of course, right? Like any of us had. And so basically what happened was before I even had a diagnosis of what was happening, I started to feel all these symptoms in my body. And I reached out for help from one of the coaches that I'd worked with in the past. And it was time to reimagine my business anyway, but we restructured my offerings. We changed my pricing. We condensed timing so that I had more time to pace and replenish. And that was a really big thing. It was more space in the calendar, more time to be able to show up more fully for people and for myself. But then what happened was doing that activated an old version of me, a very codependent version that was like, like, what am I going to do with all this time? I need to be in service. I need to be helping people. And if I've raised my prices, I don't want to raise barriers to entry. I want to make sure that there's always ways for people to access me. So then I launched a group coaching program and I did two rounds of it and it was wonderful, but it felt slightly out of integrity. It felt like it was coming from that codependent place and feeling like I needed to fill time and be in service and not really stand in the patient pacing and replenishing. And so the third go round, the energy of the group just felt really off from the conversations that I was having to, I always tune into the energy of the group and I'm like, okay, like, who am I going to pair together and how is this going to work? And it's really like very much about symbiosis and feeling like it's just going to be a great group energy. And I just felt like it was off from the beginning, but as somebody who was really challenged to dropping the ball, I kept kind of you know, inviting myself forward to keep going and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then one day I was like, what am I doing? You need to put this ball down. And at first I was using the language of dropping the ball, not the person that drops the ball. What am I doing? And I was like, no, I have choice here and I'm going to place this ball down. And me placing this ball down is in service to me because I'm coming from this old codependent place. And it's also in service to the people that already said yes to this program because they get to see me make a choice from a more healthful space versus a codependent one, or someone that might not even be able to show up fully because I've now gone back to stacking my calendar. And so it was really challenging, but I also feel like it was in the highest service to me and to the people that were going to be in that group. And I called each person and I had a really honest conversation with them. And everybody thought it was a beautiful lesson in learning, which was the coolest thing to be on the receiving end of. That is so powerful. You know, I definitely feel like I can relate to the, the this idea and sense and um, probably with what you do, but also the people that you coach when like you are someone that, for lack of a better word, but like you've started your own business and it's like your baby and it's everything you're passionate about and you are the one that's propelling it forward. And we are taught in this society to like hustle, hustle, hustle. And even when something like a pandemic happens and... Um, anxiety is raised. There's our own mental health to consider, but also all the roles that that we, we already talked about that were added to our, our daily life and whether you're a parent or not. But for me, that was my experience. And having less time, but more, especially for me, doing what I do was definitely my work increased. So having more work and doing all the things that I was passionate about, and I knew I could help. And that was the piece where it was like, I knew this was one of the times in most particular that like my services could help. And I wanted, and I think people get into this, 
field and, and some sort of similarly in what we do because you like being in service. And so having that at the very same time with like a decrease of actual time, I think it's so important to talk about and to release out there and to speak about this idea of pacing that is so interesting and replenishing mm -hmm. and putting the ball down because in the end of the day, when you're so stretched, you're not doing justice by yourself, but also what you were in the first place in service towards because no one's getting like a fourth of what they were even getting from you before, including yourself. And so I think that's so important and not to just talk about it, but to actually get the example from someone like yourself where you actually talked about adding something new that was great because you there were so many reasons for it. But then after a couple of rounds of it being like, no, this is just not right. And I have to put this ball down. And so I think that that's very powerful. I think we can talk about the idea a lot, but but it is really important to to actually hear about and see an example because oftentimes I think we feel a lot of shame and fear around the idea of putting any of our balls down. You know, oh. whether it's disappointing someone or it's like, look, I've I've put so much hard work, and if I put this ball down, am I am I going backwards? Um, everything I've created, you know, like if I take a step back, am I, you know, am I just going to be forgotten about or all the work? Is it going to go away? Or we, we live in this world of like strike while the iron's hot or like, you know, as you're running, you keep running faster. If things are going well, you just, you keep wanting more and you keep wanting more. And we always want to, to keep adding. And so I think that's really an important lesson. And I love the idea of pacing and replenishing. That's what you said, right? Pacing yeah. and replenishing. Yeah. I love that idea. I mean, when you're running a marathon, you pace yourself and you have water breaks and you replenish. And I think that that's so interesting. We don't really think about that in the concept of our everyday life emotionally and even physically about pacing and replenishing. Um, I certainly am going to be thinking a lot about that because I feel like I have not been doing a great job of pacing and replenishing lately. And I'm very much feeling it. And I know the people around me are feeling it. So that's, I think that's a big lesson I've learned today on this conversation. I wanted to talk a little bit about, we both actually um, talk a lot about this idea of purpose. And so it's one of my favorite topics. I think it's one of the most important things in life is really finding out what your true purpose is. And it's, it's a very important lesson and to keep coming back to. So what, how, what is purpose to you and how do you define your own personal purpose? So I love the conversation of purpose too, because I think for a long time, I felt like brilliance and genius was for the select few. And it wasn't something that was available to everybody or inside everybody. And when I started to pull back the layers in my own journey and recognize that we each have this beautiful contribution to give to the world, I just felt so lit up by that and was like, yes, we can all get on the court with that. And it really is our birthright, but we don't all have the opportunity to get to it. And I really want to level the playing field for people. So people feel like they can embody what they came here to do. I think it's so, so, so important. I think it's a miracle that we're here. I think scientists estimate it's something like a one in 400 trillion chance that we're even born. So like by virtue of like, we're miracles. And so by virtue of that, like us getting on the court with our purpose, like we're here for something. 
I think it's so, so, so important. And so when I start this conversation with clients, we always start by looking at their three zones, the eh, the excellent, and the exceptional. So the exceptional is our zone where we really contribute something that far outpaces others. And we each have that area, which is a beautiful thing. So it's not about competition at all. It's about embodying who we be and then building our work around it. And that too is a conversation of privilege. And I think it's very much about peeling back the layers and every day taking one step closer to it um, versus you know, abandoning everything else and being like, I'm never doing those things again because we can journey towards it over time. What would you say your purpose is? So I feel like I came to planet Earth to support women coming home to themselves, to peel back those layers of familial, cultural, societal programming and to teach people to stand in their purpose. My exceptional ability is seeing others' exceptional abilities. Like I can just like, can see it for them. I love that. Um, you talk about this idea of healthy ambitions versus wounded striving. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's such an interesting framework. So when I came to my work and I had my agency, I shared a little bit about this in the beginning of the talk, feeling boundaryless and codependent and like I wasn't in right relationship with myself and I was seeking success outside myself. And it was because of a wound. I felt unseen, unheard. And so I was looking for all these things around me to quote unquote, fill me up. But when the wound is inside, there's no amount of like certificates, accolades, shiny objects that are going to fill you up. So I was in that space of wounded striving. So striving from a wound. And healthy ambition for me is about coming home to ourselves, about standing in our purpose, about knowing that you know, our purpose is never about diminishing anybody else's shine. There is space for us all. And in standing in our purpose, lifting others up too, so they can do the same. Just a little teaser. Yeah, no, I totally, I love that topic. And I, I can absolutely see the difference of those two things. And I think it really does, of course, come back to purpose again and intention and sort of like the why. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? And I think that oftentimes we are sort of on autopilot and it's like when you drive to work every day and you go in the same route every day. And oftentimes the example, that example that I give with clients is like, you get to work and you're like, I don't actually know how I got here because you've done it so much. And in some ways that is positive part of our brain working. It's efficient and we create these shortcuts so that we can concentrate on other things. Uh, Our attention can be on other things and we don't need our attention to really be on that because we know where we're going and we've done it a million times. But the tendency is for like all aspects of our life to sort of be on autopilot. And I think that the detrimental thing is we could just be doing things for years and years and years. And unless we actually stop and as you say, peel back sort of the layers and sort of have these really, really deep, mindful, connected to ourselves from the inside moments, we don't really know why we're doing anything at all. And so often, and I think this last year, plus a, a silver lining that I've heard from a lot of guests on the show and even for myself is that it sort of made and I will speak for myself too, it made me sort of take a hard look at the things that were set on autopilot um, and the things that I was doing in an everyday way and ask, why am I doing these things? And and it was sort of like a clean slate or almost like an elimination diet in terms of energy. A lot of things had to go. They just had to go. And so after a certain amount of time not doing them, when things started to come back and you started to place them back in your life, like there was a great opportunity. There is a great opportunity right now to sort of be like, do I want this back? Why am I doing it at all? And 
if that why you really know and you know it truly and you feel it is for a good reason, then you continue it. And if not, I think there's a lot of people I've worked with that have really understood the why and the why really had nothing to do with them at all. And so it kind of reminds me back to like undergrad when I was taking the LSATs and you know, everyone asked me, what do you want to do? And I was like, be a lawyer. And I realized that the only reason I wanted to be a lawyer is because everybody always told me in high school that I would make a great lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I had a really great mentor that was like, listen, before you apply to law school, write down all the reasons why you want to be a lawyer. And I literally was not anywhere on that list. And it is the reason why I didn't apply to law school. No knock to law school, but it wasn't for me. And so I think that's another thing where you could be good at things and people can tell you that they recognize even the goodness in those things. And it may not be what you want to do. Right. Exactly. So I think that's a really important thing too. Sometimes we follow the accolades or we follow the praise and we really need to understand the why. That's huge. I feel like exactly what you're saying this last year, we were all in many ways reborn. We couldn't live life the way that we knew it. We were invited to come home to ourselves and literally sit in our homes and ask ourselves the question, why? And you know, do we like the things that we're doing? Can we continue this way? And I think this is such an opening conversation. And I think that coming out of this time, there'll be so much opportunity for those that are really coming from that healthy ambition, that beautiful why. Okay, we're, we're wrapping up a little bit, but I want to ask you, how do you define optimism? To me, optimism is a belief in miracles. And so I, I touched on this a little bit about like how it's all, a miracle that we're all here. And so by virtue of that, look, we're walking miracles and so much is possible. And that just fills my cup every day. I love that. Well, what is looking up for you? What are you most excited about, optimistic about uh, career-wise, personally, the world-wise? What comes to mind? I'm always excited to meet the women that are here to work with me. I feel like it's always such a beautiful game of hide and seek of like, here they are, here I am, I'm looking for each other like magnets. And that is always something to look forward to. And you never know who's going to be on the other side of the Zoom. So I think that's always really fun and powerful. And the other thing that I'm looking towards is more fun. I think one of the things that I learned in the last year is that it hasn't always been a priority for me, but it is such a feel-good fuel. And so looking for lots of ways to really incorporate more fun. Love that. Often one of the things I say uh, all the time, so people listening probably have heard this a million times, but if something brings you joy and actually elicits a feeling of fun inside of you, stop and recognize it. And if it doesn't, if it's at no harm to you or anyone else, do more of it. (laughs) I always say that. It's something that we don't sort of give ourselves permission for. Like fun becomes frivolous. Mm -hmm. And actually it's positive survival. Like we were meant to have fun. We were meant to actually enjoy experiences. And I think oftentimes we're really focused on when something's not going well because we have to fix it. And that's sort of how we're programmed. It's, it's how we're programmed at work. It's how we're programmed in life. Sort of like, what is our next goal? What can we improve on? What's not going that well that we can sort of make better? And very little time do we actually focus on what is going well? What am I doing a really good job on? What are my strengths? you know, what is feeling really good? Because it's sort of like that idea of, well, if it's not broken, then we don't need to fix it. But actually, if something's going well and you have this feeling of joy at some point, try and stay in it a little bit longer, like 30 seconds more, and then work up to a minute more. And it's actually really 
good and protective for your brain. Um, anyway, the last thing that we do on looking up is um, if we were together, you would pick one, but we pick a card from my things are looking up optimism deck of cards. It's 52 cards of holistic and science-based suggestions that inspire optimism and resiliency. It's just a random one that I picked for you. You got this one. Check your expectations. Are you expecting something positive or negative to happen? Now try and focus on the things you are positively expecting to occur. A little optimism tip. We often get what we expect, not necessarily what we want. Mm -hmm. So just something to think about and to take with you as little homework for your day. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Looking Up. If people want to learn a little bit more about your work, where can they find you? Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy to be here. Uh, you can learn more about me on Instagram at Amina Altai. I'm sure the spelling will be in the show notes and on my website, AminaAltai.com. Great. Thank you so much. This was so eye-opening. I definitely, that like replenishing piece and pacing is like really sticking with me and something I'm going to take with me through the day and this week. It's something I definitely needed to hear. And I'm sure other people also needed to hear, especially put that way. So thank you so much. My joy. Thank you for having me. Beautiful day. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is Me and Shaw Day by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.